Welcome to the podcast from Church of the Nazarene. Please subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. And you can also search for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. We also invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 on our YouTube channel. You can also join us in person at 9 or 1030 for our English services or 1145 for our Spanish service. We also invite you to join Celebrate Recovery every Monday night at 630. Thanks for listening. Well, I believe uh, one of the most captivating things, one of the most captivating things in the world is a good story. And I, I think you'll agree with me. I think you'll agree with me in whatever context that resonates with you, with whatever story you might think of when you think of that. I, I think one of the most captivating things in the world is a good story. Uh, during the year 2020, I, I set out to do something uh, starting at around February, March, when I realized I wasn't going to be getting out quite as much. Um, I started to read. Now, I knew how to read before 2020, but, but I didn't like to read. Uh, even in school, even throughout college and studies, I mean, I read because I had to. I read to get ready for the test. But reading for fun was not something I ever did uh, until 2020. Uh, I, I learned to read again. I learned to read for fun. I, I read nonfiction. I, I read uh, things for ministry, things to prepare me, things to grow me as a leader. But I read fiction for the first time maybe since I was like seven. And I, I set out a goal for myself, and it's probably a goal I'll never reach again. But in 2020, I, I set a goal, and, and I met it. I read 100 books in one year. Now, I may not have read 100 books in my lifetime up to that point. It's close. If you count some Dr. Seuss stuff, I probably made it. But, but 100 books. But I learned a lot about books. I learned a lot of things I love about books. And I thought about one here that I have. It's, it's, not, it's, uh, it's fiction. It's historical fiction. But I, I just thought about the power of a good story. And, and you see it in movies. You see it in other places. But if you're a reader, I guess I can call myself that, right, since I, since I got there in 2020. But, but you know the power of a good story. And here's the truth I've learned. Here's the things that I've learned as I'm, as I'm reading through a story. I'm five, 600 pages. Are you kidding me? Who in their right mind? As I'm, I'm, I'm reading and I'm flying through it. What I realize, the power of a good story is it's not just that you're observing the story, you're reading the story, you're watching from a distance. The power of a good story is it invites you into the story. You're reading the pages and you're imagining, right? You're picturing what the characters would look like. Some of you hate watching the movie after the book because it doesn't line up with what you pictured in your mind as you entered the story, right? That's what we do. When we're seeing, uh, you know, heartbreak, we're remembering, we're picturing, our, we're, we're, tears are falling down our face at fictional characters, right? Because we're remembering the heartbreak in our lives. As they experience love or hope or redemption, we're turning through the pages and we're remembering what that felt like in our lives. We're entering into the story. It's one of the most powerful things. One of the most powerful things in life is a great story. Well, over these next couple days and weeks, not just the days leading up to Easter, but in the weeks following, we're going to re-enter the greatest story in human history. I'm going to put this one away. It was good. But, but I want to be clear, over the weeks to come, throughout this month, we are going to be re-entering one of the greatest stories in human history, and it's a true story. 
And the power of this story is not just that we observe. It's not just once a year during this season, we, we read through, we remember, yep, yep, that, that happens and that happens. Yeah, what a story. The power of this story is, this true story is, it's our story. We get to, we're invited, we're called to enter into this story. And so that's what we're going to do over these next few weeks. Each Sunday, we're going to look at a snapshot, a glimpse, one character in this story. But we're going to place our lives over the story. And we're going to enter in with fresh eyes and a fresh perspective to see what it is the Lord would want to teach us. We're calling this series the stories of your life. Because we believe, I believe, that your life is in the pages of this story. You may not have known that. You may not have realized it. But as you pray and as you enter in... You and I, we find ourselves in the pages of this story, the greatest story in human history. It's your story. It's my story. The stories of your life. Let's, let's dive in. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19 today. Uh, Luke 19 is a place you might find yourself on the calendar this time of year because it is a place where we see uh, it culminates it culminates in Jesus' ride, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Pastor Billy just reminded us of that in our time of prayer. So Luke 19 is, is not an uncommon place to find yourselves this time of year, but we're not going to really be there today. That's where this story is going, and that's where Luke 19 ultimately heads with people shouting Hosanna, with Jesus riding in to Jerusalem, but, but ultimately with Jesus weeping because he knows what's coming. He knows the cost. He knows what God's will is for him, the cross. So that's where Luke 19 is going. But how does it begin? It begins, Luke 19, with an outsider. Perhaps the most hated man in all of Judea. This is the story right here in the midst of Holy Week. That's where we are, right? This is Holy Week, the, the week leading up to uh, Good Friday and, and Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. This is Holy Week, and this story, this story finds itself in these pages right here in Holy Week, and it's the story, one of the most hated men in Judea. And that's where we're going to enter in and find our place in the story today. So join me, Luke 19, we're going to start reading in verse 1. This is God's word for us. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho uh, and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Luke doesn't waste words. He doesn't waste details. So there's important context already. You can go to the next slide for me because I've highlighted two things we know right away about this man, Zacchaeus. It's the only place in scripture we read about him. The only place, uh, in the Gospels, it's there, but this is the only story. He doesn't show up anywhere else in the story. It's this story on the way to Holy Week. But two things that we know. First, we know Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And he was wealthy. So, so a tax collector meant he worked for Rome. He was, he, he was a Jew, but he worked for the enemy. He was hated by his own people. He was considered a traitor. And, and because he was a chief tax collector, he was the head scum. He supervised all the other scum. <laughs> he was the worst of the worst. He was a chief tax collector, and, and he was wealthy. This isn't surprising because tax collectors were, were often wealthy, not because they, they just did their job well, but because they would skim off the top. So not only would they have to collect taxes from their own people to give to Rome, but they would, they would take their cut off the top. 
I mean, this is the worst of the worst, right? This guy, this guy didn't have a lot of friends. This is a man who sold his character for a cut of the tax from his own people, many of whom couldn't afford to buy their own food. So, here's the first two things we learned about Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was wealthy. But there's one more thing we learn about him very quickly. Uh, keep reading in verse 3, just these first few words. He wanted to see who Jesus was. There's really three things we know about. I mean, we can do some other research and find some other things, but there's three things in the story we learned about him. He was, he was a chief tax collector. He was wealthy. That meant a lot of things. But there's one more really important thing we learn about him in this story. He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see who Jesus was. There was a crowd gathering. We know that. There was, there was a crowd gathering, and we, we find out uh, that he has to go to some links to find Jesus in the midst of the crowd. But, but amidst of all the crowd, amidst all the people watching, all the bystanders, he wants to see who Jesus was. And we know this isn't just curiosity. We know this isn't how, you know, if a unicorn showed up in the parking lot today, you'd want to see that. You, no, no, there's something deeper behind it than just curiosity. And we know that because we keep reading the story. Let's keep going. Uh, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. Some of you in here that are vertically challenged, you feel like, man, I feel seen today. I feel heard today. Zacchaeus, right? Finding my place in the story. So, verse 4, he ran ahead. He climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So he runs ahead. He climbs a tree. He's so desperate to see Jesus that he doesn't just hang out in the crowd. He runs ahead. He climbs a tree just to get a look, just to get a glimpse. So how would Jesus respond? To an outsider like that, the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low, the most hated man, maybe in that whole region, how would Jesus respond to someone like that? Verse 5. Verse 5 says this, uh, when, Jesus, when Jesus had reached the spot, he looked up and saw him. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Hospitality was a big deal. I think it's a big deal now. It was a big deal in Jesus' day. Having someone into your home communicated something powerfully. So Jesus says, hey, hey, Zacchaeus, come down here. Not, not, come here, I'm going to give you an earful. I'm going to reprimand you. Come on, let's talk about your earnings over the last month. No, 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 Zacchaeus, I'm coming over for dinner. I must I must go and be with you. Zacchaeus comes down and welcomes him gladly. This would have been shocking, even appalling to those in the crowd. And we know that it was scandalous because we see in verse 7 how the people respond. Verse 7, the people saw this, they began to mutter. They began to mutter, here he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. What an accusation. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of all my possessions to the poor, and I've, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. 
And then don't miss verse 10. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. We believe in transformation here at Church of the Nazarene. We believe that God is in the business of transformation. There may not be a greater story of transformation during this Passion Holy Week. There, there's several, but, but Zacchaeus' life is a story of radical, radical transformation. Look with me for verse 10. Uh, the, the Son of Man, Jesus said, came to seek and save the lost. The story of Zacchaeus may be most important because it articulates the mission statement of Jesus. What was Jesus' mission statement? Why did he come? What was his purpose? It's right there in Luke 19, verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Why did Jesus come? What was his life ultimately about? To seek out the lost? To save the lost. The mission statement of Jesus. It's not just a cute Bible verse to put in a frame, right? It's a truth spoken in response to one of the biggest outcasts, the biggest outsiders, the biggest enemy. Zacchaeus, son of man, came to seek and save you, Zacchaeus. So, throughout, again, what is our heart? What is our purpose? We're not just here to observe the scripture. I love reading the scripture. That matters. We're not just here to remember the story. I love remembering the story. That matters. But we're asking the question, why? Why here? Why now? Why today? Why us? In the midst, in the midst of this holy week, as we journey towards Easter Sunday, why is this story here? And better yet, where am I in this story? Where are you? If we're not just bystanders reading so, some, some words, some ancient scripts, oh, this is a good story. But, but if, if it's true today that this is our story, this is our salvation story, this is our redemption story, then today, where do you find yourselves in this story, the story of Zacchaeus? Well, this story certainly fits chronologically, doesn't it? Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the final time. He's journeying towards the cross. So, so this story finds its place in the final days of Jesus' life. It, it carries extra weight, doesn't it? This is one of the last things Jesus did on the earth. We know that. It's powerful. But I want to give you today some snapshots, some places where I might find myself in this story. And I believe it might be where you find yourself. Let, let, let's, let's call it option one, option two, and option three as you read the story, as you enter in today. Option one is this. Maybe as you place yourself in this story, maybe you're part of the crowd. We know there was a large crowd that gathered that day. There were many people in this story that aren't mentioned by name. Maybe today, as you place yourselves in this story, you're one of them. You're part of the crowd. There were plenty in the, in the crowd that they that just watched. They watched from a distance. They watched passively. Maybe, maybe that's you. You, you, you like Zacchaeus, you want to see Jesus, but not really. Because you're not climbing any trees. You're not doing anything too extreme. There's a lot of people, it's pretty busy, it's pretty crowded, you're not in, all the reasons you could give, all the excuses you could give, you're part of the crowd, you're watching it happen from a safe distance, doesn't cost you anything, you don't have to take any risks, you're just kind of watching, you're observing, you're not participating at all, you're just watching, 
and observing. Maybe that's you today. You might be very religious. Many in the crowd were, weren't they? You might be faithful. You might be involved in the church. On the outside, everything may look fine, but in your heart, you can't really believe that salvation would come to someone like that. And you're just not that passionate about Jesus. You're one of the crowd, one of the many that were looking that day, but you weren't You weren't like Zacchaeus climbing a tree, desperate to get to Jesus. Jesus is one option in your life. He's a good thing in your life. He's a priority, but not the priority. Maybe that's where you find yourself today as you enter into the story. Just one of the crowd on this holy week. You know what's coming. You get it. You've been here before. You've watched it. You go through the rhythm, tradition, right? But it doesn't mean anything to you doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't cause you to act any different in your life. That's option one. Maybe option two, there were others in the crowd that day. Let's call them the mutterers. <laughs> it drives Lauren nuts when I mutter. When I say something and she can't, she's like, stop muttering, you know? But, but, but there's a different kind of muttering here. And I use that word very specifically because that's the word that Luke uses and response to the crowd that day. Look in verse 7. All the people saw this encounter with Zacchaeus, right? And they began to mutter. Now Luke, he says all the people. Now you're probably thinking, all the people, Luke? That's an exaggeration. Hey, maybe, but it was enough of the people that Luke felt like he had to say that. All the people, all the people could not believe this. All the people were thrown off by this. All the people were shocked and in awe and horrified that Jesus, all the people thought this, this is not what should happen here. Not to that cheat. So maybe today that's you. The people, that, they're the mutterers, they can't believe that Jesus would act this way. Jesus would welcome someone like that. And maybe that's you. Again, you might be faithful. You might, you might love Jesus and have a relationship with him. But in your heart, you really can't believe that the kingdom could welcome someone like that. I mean, look at, look at what he's done. Look at what he deserves. How? How, Jesus, could you welcome someone like that? Listen, if that's you today, you... you you would, never, you would never say that out loud. You would never have the audacity to admit that. But in your heart, it's how you feel. It's not fair. It's not right, Jesus. With all that I've done and all that I've sacrificed and all the ways that I've been faithful, and you're, you're going to do that for him? Jesus, if you knew his past, do, Jesus, do you really know who that is? Maybe today you don't want to admit that. I got to tell you places in my, in my life when I've been like that, I don't want to admit, I don't want anybody to know this is how I feel. But if you were honest, if you're placing yourself within the story, you're a mutterer. In response to Jesus, it makes you a little uncomfortable. And maybe even more than that, jealous that Jesus would welcome someone like that. That's option two. Option three is... Maybe you're not part of the crowd at all. 
you've never felt like you're truly apart. You're in a room here, uh, there's people all around the room, but even in a room like this, you feel like, I don't belong. I'm an outsider. I don't really fit. I don't fit here. I don't fit there. I don't really ever fit anywhere. You, you feel like you've never been good enough or smart enough or talented enough. Maybe you have a past filled with regrets and mistakes. Maybe somebody told you you don't belong. They said that to you. They called you an outsider, and you believed it. And you believe today no one could truly love you. No one could truly forgive you. In fact, right now what you're thinking, if you really knew me, if you really knew me, you wouldn't accept me. Not me. And some of you today, that's how you feel. It's not just how you feel, that's how you've lived your life. You can fake it, you can blend in, you can, you can fake it till you make it, but deep inside you feel like an outsider, you feel like an outcast. You're not really sure that you ever fit anywhere. And as you place yourself within this story, maybe you resonate a lot more with Zacchaeus than anyone else. Maybe the laundry list of things, the wrongs that you've done are so long, that could never be overcome. It's a guilt and a shame that you can't ever move past. Maybe your reputation, your reputation is so stained and so that you feel like you're the outcast in the story. Option three. So today, which one are you? As you look into the story, as you place yourself within this story, no matter where you find yourself, the background and context of this moment should speak volumes. Listen, as Jesus prepares to make his way to the cross, as he's days away from his ultimate death, his sacrifice for sin, he stops to seek out an outsider who was unworthy. That should matter to us. That should tell us something. Of all the things Jesus could do in these final moments as he prepares to head towards Jerusalem, he does this. On the screen, I have a powerful truth for us today. It's, it's the mission of Jesus. And I want us to be reminded of it today that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The truth is he did it then. We just, we, we read that. We hear it. We observe it on the page. Luke 19, there it is. But, but the powerful truth is he still does it today. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He did it then. But hallelujah, he still does it today. The question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? It's a pivotal moment in the gospel because it represents the capacity of a lost man to actually seek Jesus. Think about that. No matter how much of an outsider he was, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to seek out Jesus. And ultimately, he experiences salvation. Whew. That should speak powerfully to us today. Jesus didn't build a fence and say, ah, Zacchaeus, you're too far gone. Zacchaeus didn't keep him at a distance and say, go clean stuff up and then let's talk. He wanted to see Jesus, and in his desperation, he found salvation beyond his wildest dreams. Jesus came to seek 
and save the lost. See, here's the sad reality. The sad reality is there are churches today filled with people that don't believe that. Jesus said it, and maybe they believe it was true then. Maybe they believe in this moment it was true, but they don't believe that it's true today. And again, they may not have the audacity to say that out loud, but the reality is there's churches today filled with people that don't really believe that. Because if they did, they would live their lives. They would respond. They would act so much differently than they do. I've, over the past couple, 30 days, I'll say, I've, I've had some different conversations, many of them unplanned, with pastors in different contexts. And pastors, when we get to talk, we just get to talk. We just get to share our burdens. We get to pray for each other. We get to, but I've gotten to talk with several pastors in the last 30 days who are really broken and really hurting. They're hurting because they read Luke 19, 10, and they read the mission statement of Jesus, and it resonates with their, their hearts are filled and overflowing that this is who Jesus is. This is his heart to seek and save lost people, but they're trying to lead a church that has no interest in that. They're leading people who are more interested in being entertained or just being encouraged than really reaching people that are lost. We have a mission as a church. Our mission is that we would be transformed by God to bring hope to others through Christ. And there's a reason that our mission calls us to be transformed for God to work in us. But then it doesn't stop there. It causes us, it compels us to go bring hope to others. Why does that matter to us? It matters to us because it mattered to Jesus. Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost. So we, we believe that. And we believe it's our mission as the church to be about his business, his mission. And so as your pastor, I, I can't, I won't allow us to not be passionate about this because it's what Jesus was passionate about. I believe it's what the church has, we have to care. We have to care about lost people. We love gathering together. We love gathering together with, with people growing in their faith. We, we love gathering together with brothers and sisters in the faith and encouraging and equipping one with. I believe in that. But we will never stop caring for the lost. We'll never stop praying for the lost. We'll never stop seeking out, asking the Lord, Lord, what can we do to bring hope to people that are lost? Jesus came Seek and save the lost. He did it then. Praise the Lord, though. He still does it today. So as you find yourself in this story, the saving grace, the saving work of Jesus for all to see, where is it that you find your place? Maybe today, maybe today some of us need to repent and say, wow, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me when I've pushed people, when I've I believed, I haven't said it maybe, but I believed in my heart that there's certain people that aren't worthy of your grace. Some of us today, we may need to repent and say, Lord, forgive me for being a mutterer, for being one in the crowd who's grumbling and complaining when you show compassion and mercy to the least of these. Lord, forgive me. Maybe today you're an outsider. Maybe you keep showing up here because you're wondering if this is going to be a church 
that really believes this is true? Is this going to be a church that really believes the words of Jesus that he came to seek and save people that are messed up and broken and don't have it all together and can't fake it anymore? Maybe you keep showing up and looking around and wondering if this is going to be a church who's willing to carry out the mission of Jesus. And my prayer today for you is that you'll know Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And we believe that's still true today, right now, today, in this moment. He wants to seek and save all that would call on his name. All Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, right? And today, if that's your heart, this is your story. <laughs> this is your story. The band's going to come because in a minute we're going to receive communion and we're going to respond to coming to the table. It's an invitation that we can all be a part of. But before we do that, as the band comes and prepares, I was reminded of a story this week a friend shared with me. You may be familiar. Max Licato, he's written more things than I could read in one year probably. But I was reminded of a story in one of his writings and I think this story perfectly illustrates on the doorstep to Holy Week, the heart of God to seek and save the lost. What is this week ultimately about? Is it about traditions? and No, you know what this week is really about? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's what it's about. And if we make it about anything else, we're off the mark. So as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the opportunity we have this morning to come to the table to respond. I was, my heart was moved by this story. It'll take me just a minute or two to read it, but lean in and engage in the story. It says this, the small house was simple, but it was adequate. It consisted of one large room on a dusty street. Its red tiled roof was one of many in this poor neighborhood on the outskirts of a Brazilian village. It was a comfortable home. Maria and her daughter, Christina, had done what they could to add color to the gray walls and warmth to the hard dirt floor. They had an old calendar, a faded photograph of a relative, a wooden crucifix. The furnishings were modest, a pallet on either side of the room, a wash basin, a wood burning stove. See, Maria's husband had died when Christina was an infant. And the young mother stubbornly refused opportunities to remarry and said she got a job and she set out to raise her young daughter. And now, 15 years later, the worst years were over. Though Maria's salary as a maid afforded few luxuries, it was reliable and it did provide food and clothes. Now Christina was old enough to get a job and help out. Some said Christina got her independence from her mother. She recoiled at the traditional idea of marrying young and raising a family. Not that she couldn't have had her pick of husbands. Her olive skin and brown eyes kept a steady stream of prospects at the door, but she had an infectious way of throwing her head back and filling the room with laughter. She also had rare magic that some women have that makes every man feel like a king just by being near her. It was her spirited curiosity, though, that made her... Keep all the men at arm's length. You see, she spoke often of going to the city. She dreamed of trading her dusty neighborhood for exciting avenues and city life. Just the thought of this horrified her mother. Maria was always quick to remind Christina of the harshness of the streets. People don't know you there. Jobs are scarce. Life is cruel. And besides, if you were there, what would you do for a living? Maria knew exactly what Christina would do. 
what she would have to do for a living. That's why her heart broke when she awoke one morning to find her daughter's bed empty. Maria knew immediately where her daughter had gone, so she knew immediately what she must do. She quickly threw some clothes in a bag, gathered up all of her money, and ran out of the house. On her way to the bus stop, she entered into a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in in the photo booth that day, closed the curtain, and spent all the money she had on pictures of herself. With her purse full of small and black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human will will do things that were before unthinkable. So knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with a reputation for street walkers or prostitutes. She went to them all. And at each place, she left her picture taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to the corner phone booth, and on the back of each photo she wrote a note. It wasn't too long before both the money and the pictures ran out and Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke of pain and of fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she had longed to trade her countless beds for the secure pallet of home. Yet the little village was, in too many ways, too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs... Her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again. There there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned. Her throat tightened as she walked across the room. As she removed the small photo written on the back was a compelling invitation. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, It doesn't matter. Please come home. Church family, I'm going to invite you to stand this morning, right where you are. The invitation of the Father today, my child, please come home. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So today, that might feel like you, and if that's you today, come home, come home, come home. The loving arms of the Father are ready to welcome you. And if, if you've been a bystander in the crowd too long, muttering, feeling as though some people may not deserve that kind of grace today, may you join me in just repenting and say, oh, Lord, give me your heart for the lost. Give me your heart for people around me that are broken. Give me a heart for people that are far from home. I want to be a church. I want to be a church that believes that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. In a moment, we're going to come to the table. Anyone that's here is invited to come. You don't have to be a member of this church. But if you come to the table, you just have to have one desire. Jesus, I want to be in right relationship with you. I believe that was Zacchaeus. When he climbed that tree, 
I believe he desired to be in right relationship. He didn't even know what that meant, did he? But I believe his heart said, I want this. And if that's your heart today, you can come to the table. What does this represent? Well, Jesus, in these final days that we're talking about in the story, uh, before he went to the cross, he took the bread. He, he gathered with his disciples and he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. I wonder what they really thought he was talking about. They didn't really know what was going to happen, did they? But Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood, which will be poured out for you. At least a few of the disciples had to be wondering, what, Jesus, what are you talking about? But we, the sacrament of communion for us is a reminder. It's a reminder that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. It's a reminder that we know the story, but we know what's coming in the story, that Jesus would lay down his life so that no one would ever have to be an outsider again. So today, that's the invitation. Come to the table. Some will want to take the elements back to their seats and pray there. That's beautiful. Some may want to kneel at an altar. Some may want to gather with family or friends and receive the elements. There's no rush today. But as we worship, as we remember that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, I want to invite you to respond. Can I pray with you now? Uh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your heart for the outsider, for your heart for the loser, for your heart for the rebel, the one who doesn't deserve grace, but that's why it's grace. And so today we thank you that Jesus, you came, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And you did it then, Lord, do it again. Do it here in this room. Do it here in this community. Do it here in our homes. Do it here on our campuses, Lord. Seek and save the lost. And so as we come to the table today, we do it with hearts overflowing with love, with joy. If, if, if Lord, there's anything in our hearts that's not right, we choose now to be right with you. We choose now to be reconciled with you. We choose now to seek forgiveness so that we can come to the table with hearts overflowing with joy. We love you now and we thank you for these precious moments that we share. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel for updates and new episodes. And if you have any questions about our church or ministries, go ahead and email us at info at cotnaz.org.